This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. It's another edition of the Equalizer podcast. It is Labor Day weekend. That means the summer has unofficially come to an end, but the NWSL fall series is underway. It got underway on Saturday with Sky Blue salvaging a win over the Washington Spirit with a late goal. Two to one. My name is Dan Lawletta. John Halloran is back after a little bit of a hiatus following the Challenge Cup and also Emily Olson, who covered the game at Segra Field yesterday or on Saturday for Equalizer Soccer. And Emily will make her Equalizer podcast debut. Um, I'll start off with John. Um, it's been a while since we have seen you. Were you happy to see NWSL Soccer back on, on your television on Saturday? It was it was nice. It was a little bit uh, like we talked about midweek, shaking off the rust a bit. I had kind of checked out for a few weeks there after the Challenge Cup, but uh yeah, I think it's nice to get pulled back in. Um, I'll give you this one because Emily was at the game. I noticed no crowd noise piped yeah. into this. I'm guessing the production values, you know, they're putting a little bit less into it for the fall series than they did the Challenge Cup. Uh, I, got, I, I really enjoyed it a lot more without the fake crowd noise. Yep, me too. And uh, and actually probably Emily can speak to this. But one of the things I noticed in the second half was I started hearing the drumming and the uh, very kind of light singing, and I thought maybe they were pumping that into the stadium for the players, but I think the Spirit Squadron actually showed up. Yeah, that was, right that, was, <laughs> that was all natural sound coming from it, and I think Elise LaHue actually complimented the Spirit Squadron for it. They had, um, you know, a group of, a small group of people that had been there. They had a tent because it was sunny. They had the drums. They had a... Um, a bullhorn to be able to say the cheers. And yeah, when you have an empty stadium that carries um, and they were going all 90 minutes. I, I don't know what maybe changed on the broadcast, but for me, I think the sound from them was pretty constant throughout the game. There was, um, you, you know, it was, it was constant. They were doing their regular cheers and it, it added a little bit of normalcy to something that was otherwise pretty, uh, pretty strange experience. And where were they exactly? So, the I am terrible at uh, <laughs> directional <laughs> verbiage, um, but basically one of the corners. So if you went diagonally out from one of the corner flags just past the uh, A gate, basically, um, they were right there. Uh, there's a little bit of breakage between the stands and the VIP section of Segra Field. So I think that they could see maybe they definitely could see uh, I believe. Paige Nielsen's PK. Um, I don't know how much of the rest of the game they could see, but they, their sound was uh, directly into that corner of the field. Now, are you aware that they set this up with the club? Did they just show up rogue on their own? Were there any protocols they had to follow in order to be there? 
I don't know if they had to follow the same, um, you know, I had to follow and anyone that entered the stadium had to follow, um, you know, the, the league protocols of, of staying six feet away, masks, temperature check. I don't, be- I, I can't speak to whether the outside, if the spirit squadron had to do the same. Um, but it seemed like this was something that they brought forward themselves, um, showing up for their team and everything. Now, you mentioned protocols that you had to follow. Take us through that a little bit, because we haven't really talked to many folks who have been at games, very few media at the Challenge Cup. I know you've also done some D.C. United games, but what was it like, and what was it like compared to covering a regular game with fans and more unfettered access? Yeah, I think every time, um, you know, wherever you are in the country or even the world, you try to do an activity that you did before it, things shut down because of the pandemic. It, it has this weird, eerie feeling to it. Um, I have been to both Audi Field and Segra now, and I have to say both MLS and NWSL guidelines are pretty similar. Um, you, you For MLS, you, t- you go there, you fill out a form that, you know, self-talking about symptoms, um, you know, have you been in contact with someone, uh, positive test, all the generic things that uh, that you have to go through to to say you're clear of um, not testing positive for COVID-19, and then you get your temperature taken. And for MLS, I want to say the uh, person taking my temperature said it could go up as high as 100.4 uh, for you to be allowed in. Uh, mine was way below that, but I, that's what they said there. I don't know what the NWSL uh, uh threshold ceiling is for temperature so you, you get your temperature taken um mls you sign a waiver uh for for at segra for the spirit game uh, i didn't sign a waiver but it, it's part of the it was in the credential process rather than on site um, and then you get in there and it's very similar to when you go to a grocery store or anything like that where you keep your you keep your mask on the whole time and, and mind your distance from other people um, and without fans, they actually, uh, the spirit set us up in section 106 and 107, uh, because that kind of was a good view of the field and you can have your space. It was a little sunny and hard to work on a laptop, but other than that, yeah. um, you know, the one, the one kind of benefit I would say is you go back to it. I, I've never been able to watch professional game. Even the DC United game wasn't like the Spirit uh, Sky Blue game where you really I, – I almost kind of put a scouting hat on. I felt like I was able to kind of key in on different pieces. I could hear um, I could hear Richie Burke most of the game um, and really key in. I had my notebook, and, and it, it almost felt like a, a scouting trip rather than anything close to the journalism I've done before. It's interesting you mentioned 100.4 because the local camps by me, the temperature threshold was 100.4. So I wonder if that's a complete coincidence or if there's something to that number. And I know part of it was, you know, that you can, you know, some people run warmer. And sometimes if you're, you know, in a hot car, you can run a little bit warmer. And even if you originally are 100.4, they let you like, you know, relax and cool down and then they retake your temperature. So fascinated by that. Um, John, you can go ahead. Real quick on that, you also have to think about for MLS, they're, they're not in these smaller pods. And if you're in Dallas on a hot day, you're gonna, you're gonna run warm. So I think because that the league has to do it uniform everywhere, I think that also goes a little bit into it. 
Yeah, for sure. Now, John, one of the better parts for me watching on TV was hearing Richie Burke yell at his midfield for <laughs> most of that 90 minutes. Yeah. Right? At one point in midfield, where are you? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it was funny you mentioned that because I was about 30 seconds before you could hear him yell that on the broadcast. I was thinking, where is the spirit midfield? Because they, you know, we saw them last year and then in the Challenge Cup do such an excellent job of possessing the ball, especially out of the back. And do so with this serious, determined uh, method behind it where they would just work it back and forth until those gaps opened up and then play through the midfield. And, um, you know, both you and I have joked many, many times about coaches who come in and say they want to play that style, but that Burke actually did it. And that was just non-existent, uh, at least through, I thought, the first 30 minutes of this game yesterday. Now, let's be fair, they didn't have you know, Lavelle, they didn't have Sullivan, they didn't have DiBiase, uh, the latter two with injuries and the, and the first with, you know, being overseas, but, um, it was just not good. It was just not a good performance from them. And I saw one of our friends, Charles Olney had even tweeted, I think that said, I'm not sure if, if Sky Blue really looks this good or if Washington's really that bad. Um, because the, the, the spirit did not look good, and Sky Blue, I thought, looked fantastic through very long stretches of the game. Yeah, that's their best performance for Freya Coulomb, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And haven't been many, but that's certainly their best. But I, my question on this is, how much does it matter? And might there just be some teams that just can't find the motivation to be into this, you know, because they were supposed to play a season and they were in preseason. And then the Challenge Cup was a really good event. But, you know, the bubble, I think, got to some people. And now it's like these four games. There's no fans, even if the squadron was outside the stadium making a little noise. You know, the spirit midfield, as we talked about, is completely depleted from what it was supposed to be. It just, you know, I wonder if some teams are just not going to really, really bring it. And, uh, I, you know, I wonder if that was it for the Spirit. Although, they, you know, to their credit, they did kind of get it together. And if not for the late goal scored, although they gave up, what, like three or four chances after they tied it up at one. But, you know, if they tie it up and it stays 1-1, we're saying, hey, what a great gutty performance by the Spirit getting a draw out of that. Maybe. I don't, it was just, it, gosh, they just did not look like the spirit that we've grown so accustomed to. And well, like I said, not. I don't want to be unfit. Right. Because they're not. We can <laughs> add Houston to that too. Not yeah. having her. And, and McGrady. Uh, oh, and yeah, you're right. And Tegan. So they, you're right. I mean, you're, you're talking five players. I think the front, they, they would have had their first, their first choice front line, their first choice mm-hmm. center backs and their first choice goalkeeper. So six out of their first choice 11, I suppose. Now, on the center back front, though, Staub gave the ball away pretty poorly for the first goal. But I think that's the worst game I've ever seen Sam Staub play for the Spirit. I would have to agree with that. I think that um, it, it was she is was a consistent piece in 2019. She was someone they could always rely on, whether it was defensively or on those desperately needed, you know, set pieces that they didn't really get against Sky Blue. But she she was key and you talk about that giveaway on the first goal. I mean, it's a, it's a pass from MDH to Staub who just bobbles it and, and, and fumbles it. And, you know, then you're back chasing and Bledsoe because of the missed, the missed pass wasn't quite ready um, for Anumano to come in and, and take that strike. So, but, but that's the thing is, and this is a, you know, this is a duh statement, but soccer is a team sport. And when, 
especially when you have Hendricks and uh, I, I want to point out Natalie Jacobs, who is one of the newer players and one of the players are going to be um, they're going to be evaluating during this time when you're outside back and the leader in front of you. So Houston, a major leader on this team, Sullivan, the leader on this team, when those people aren't around you, the, you see how much goes into a game other than one-on-one plays with center backs, you know, the, the, that, that communication, that person stepping up and talking wasn't there. And I think that is also a reason, you know, you have struggle playing out of the back. You have a challenge adjusting in the midfield when you're man marking and you have uh sky blues forwards drop back and, and add support. So I think a lot of it also does go back to this, this leadership thing. I mean, the best example I have is I, I know she meant it in jest, but Paige Nielsen said when they got the penalty kick, the reason she took it is because she looked around and she was like, oh, who's going to take it? Oh, oh, no one's going to take it. I'll take it. So, I mean, even in those situations, when you're missing that leadership, I, I think it's it's tough to figure out who you are. Pretty good PK she took for someone that wasn't <laughs> maybe thinking she was going to take it. That was a really well taken. Yeah, I wish penalty. I could walk up and just say that that's, you know, I just yeah, took it because I could. I mean, but Sheridan was all over it and she she beat her. I mean, Sheridan went the right way and everything. She just took it perfectly. And that's after getting run over, which, by the way, that's got to be a yellow card there on McCool for running over Sheridan. Now, after that penalty goes down. That's on the ball, after the ball popped loose, right? Yeah, I mean, you cannot run a goalkeeper like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, it's all, that's always one of those things where, you know, the forward's going to argue that that's a loose ball and the, and the opposing coach is always going to say you got to protect the goalkeeper. Right, and it looks worse because she stayed down a little bit. Now, there was one giveaway in this game, and I watched this game after I already knew what happened. So even when the Spirit tied it, I knew there was a Sky Blue goal coming. I didn't go back to see who had the giveaway, but the Spirit had the ball. They were, like, down on their goal line, and somebody passed it out to the top of the 18, like, directly to a Sky Blue player. And I was like, this must be the game-winning goal, and it wasn't. But it was a horrendous giveaway and I thought there were way too many of those for the spirit over the course of this game that was stopped um, by the way I think that was, you're talking well, about the, the one in the 90th minute yeah doubles me down on that sort of worst game yeah uh, as a as a spirit player all right I want to talk a little bit about uh, sky blue and how well they played and the debut of Mallory Pugh and Mitch Purse playing on the front line but we'll step away take a little bit of a break John Halloran and a newcomer Emily Olson on the Equalizer podcast with Dan Lalletta What's up, everybody? Jeff Kasouf here, founder of The Equalizer. I want to make sure that you know we also have another podcast called Kickin' Back, which is interview-based. We talk to players, coaches, personalities from across women's soccer about defining moments in their career and some important things from the present day and look ahead a little bit to the future. We've had guests like Crystal Dunn, Becky Sauerbrunn, Jill Ellis, Bev Yanez, Ali Riley, Julie Foudy and Mia Hamm, so many already, and many more to come. So please go ahead and check out Kickin' Back Pod on any platform you find your podcast after, of course, you've finished up with this episode of the Equalizer Podcast. Back on the Equalizer podcast with a reminder to please check us out on the web at EqualizerSoccer.com or for premium content, EqualizerSoccer.com slash subscribe. And if you like what you hear 
on the podcast. Please don't forget to rate and review the Equalizer podcast today. Dan Lawletta with John Halloran and Emily Olson, who has content behind that paywall at EqualizerSoccer.com slash subscribe after uh, joining the Equalizer for the first time over the weekend over at Segra, the new uh, was supposed to be the new home ground for the Spirit. They still did play there, um, but no fans were allowed in. Spirit Squadron made a little bit of an appearance outside the stadium. But I want to talk about Sky Blue because Mallory Pugh made her debut. And I think that says a lot about Mallory Pugh because she very easily could have opted out. Carly Lloyd opted out. You know, look, there's like Julie Ertz opted out. Megan Rapino opted out. Word is Crystal Dunn and some other Courage players will be opting out. So, you know, I don't blame anybody for not wanting to play. I think it says a lot that Mallory Pugh realizes that she actually needs to get games in and be good. And I think she looked good in about 30 minutes. But then there's Midge Purse because at the Challenge Cup, and John and I talked about this all through the Challenge Cup, Midge Purse was at right back which was weird because, A, I don't think she's very good back there, and, B, Sky Blue had nobody who could score. And I thought Purse had a horrible challenge cup. But here we are now. She plays up front. I thought she looked as good as she's looked since the last time she played up front. And then when Pew got in there, they connected a few times. Pew hit the post in stoppage time and then fed Purse for the game-winning goal. So, you know, I think bravo to this idea and, you know, I think Purse has to play up top for Sky Blue going forward to be effective, in my opinion. I think you're right. It's funny that, you know, obviously people talked about this a lot during the Challenge Cup, but, you know, it's not like Freya Combe is the only person who's who's tried this or thought that this was, you know, an option, right? We saw the same thing happen in Portland. We've seen the same thing happen with the national team. But it's tough to watch a game like yesterday's and not think, it's a no-brainer to play her up top because it wasn't just one thing. It wasn't just her on the dribble. It wasn't just her scoring that goal. She was playing people in. She was setting things up. She was all over the place. And there, there was literally no aspect of her game that you would want from a forward that wasn't positive yesterday. And you, you just look at that and you think, that front line between her and Anumanu and, and Pew and even Monahan, who I thought was understated but terrific, that that is just such a devastating combination up there that you can just suffocate your opponents. And when you have options, you know, whether that's Dorsey or Flores, who's another player who's been absolutely terrific, there's no need to play her at outside back. Yeah, and, and I look at Emily. I was just going to add to that when you, the Paige Monahan thing, I, I really want to add to that because it was interesting to me and Freya Kuhn, uh talked about this after the game. It felt like uh, Purse was given the freedom to attack from both sides whenever she felt the game needed it. And that Monahan was kind of asked to do that supporting role, you know, let Purse make, see what the game needs and then follow where she, where she leaves. And I think that that, you know, that's not saying anything bad about Paige Monahan. that's actually saying that this this ability to and I'm sure it'll switch up but this ability to kind of have the versatility on the wings and then like you said Anamanu in the middle and then they can all play down the middle it's just the, the the options are almost ridiculous right now for Sky Blue up top you know and I get it why Purse would want to play outside back if she thinks that's her path 
to the national team. I mean, she's not the first. She's not the 50th player to say that she wants to play somewhere <laughs> because it's the path to the national team. And I get why the coach would play her there because that is part of the role of the club coach is to do the best as you can for the players. I think we're a little bit fuzzy on that because of the whole U.S. soccer thing. No, she's not part of that directly. And one game in this fall series tournament, you know, I can't say that I, you know, in one breath, I can't say that some teams are just not going to motivate and another breath say this is the definitive reason that purse has to be higher. But I've seen enough of her in all the stops that she's made. I mean, going back to last season when the Thorns lost players to the World Cup, how good was Purse and Simone Charlie up top yep. for them? I mean, they yep. came to carry the team for a couple of weeks. And that's the other thing is that you work your way onto the national team in large part by getting, you know, that exposure that comes with scoring goals. We saw that come from Sofia Huerta when she got called in. It was because she was scoring goals. And then once she gets called in, she gets, you know, transitioned in the back. So if Purse comes out there and scores 10 goals in a season, there's no way she's not going to get call-ups. So at that point, you know, Vlatko can do whatever the heck he wants with her in the camp, but she's going to keep her name in that conversation by producing. And if so, she's playing up top and she's scoring goals. She's going to keep getting called up. And if I could just add one other thing, um, Emily mentioned about Monaghan coming underneath, which I thought was an interesting comment too, because the thing that I thought made her stand out was her connecting play when she would drop in, win the ball, and then find somebody and play that connector to start the attacks. I really thought that that's where her value was um, coming in and creating those opportunities for her teammates. You know, what's interesting about Monaghan was that when she first came to Sky Blue, which I guess was 2019, but that feels like seven years ago, (laughs) they had her as a defensive player and then they moved her up top. She had that game where she scored the two goals against Chicago, including Kerr tied it, I think, in the 90th, and Monaghan won it in stoppage time. And Hugo Macedo, who was the interim coach, was basically like, yeah, she's a forward. She is absolutely, you know, an attacking player. And I, I think Monaghan was one of the more underrated players to come in the draft, come into the league in 2019. Yeah. Well, again, to highlight what I kind of said earlier there, too, you, we're, we're just mentioning the fact that if you think about Sky Blue, they don't have just – really great at attackers. They have two players that are fantastic at running in behind or running in and getting behind. You have one that's good at playing back to goal. And then with Monahan, you're mentioning a player that knows how to think defensively as well as attacker. So, I mean, it's just a, a wealth of riches, not just in talented goal scorers, but the way that these players go about scoring those goals. So then how do you both feel Imani Dorsey fits into this? Because she's another one that's been up top as an outside back, as a little bit of a winger. They don't really use the winger system in midfield, but where do you guys think Dorsey fits there? Not you want to take that one? I, <laughs> I don't have any strong thoughts about that one. Well, that's the thing is, is I think she did okay, you know, playing that, that outside back role uh, against uh, the spirit. I don't, I, I don't know because this, this team, the sky blue is not, necessarily that team we watched play in Utah. Um, so I, I, those, that's one of those players that I think during this series has to maybe prove a little bit about where she belongs now. I, I, I don't know that that could be way off, but I, again, that's a, you asked that question because I, I don't know if there's a clear answer right now. All right, let's go to the uh, Twitter board. We've got a couple of uh, 
Well, we'll read the one from Ryan Lamb. Jonathan Tannenwald, our friend from the Philadelphia Inquirer, also chimed in about Tobin Heath and Kristen Press. Uh, but Ryan Lamb says, Tobin Heath and Kristen Press to United, is it really going to happen? Because United fans are scarred in the market. And what impact could they bring to the squad? Uh, I'll go first here. It is going to happen. Uh, I don't know enough about Manchester United to say exactly what their impact would be, but they're very good players. So they're obviously um, players that can make an impact. I do know that Man United held Chelsea 1-1 in the opener of the FAWSL, and Chelsea's loaded up. And ironically, a couple of former Sky Blue players with the goals there, Kerr for Chelsea, Leah Galton for Manchester United. Uh, but either of you two, I'll start with John, have uh, thoughts on Ethan Press in the uh, in the English league. I think it's the same conversation that we had a few weeks back when when it, I think it maybe Mewis was the first one that we knew about for sure. But the fact that these players have not played games, the fact that the uh, you know Olympics are at least ostensibly nine months away and they're going to need games, the fact that the NWSL is unlikely to do much beyond these four games until next March and that there probably aren't going to be at least any home U S games for the rest of this calendar year, because our country has handled the pandemic worse than just about every other (laughs) right country in, in, in the world that these players have to go where they can play and they can't do that here. So I would not begrudge anybody for one second going over there. And look, are there long-term effects? We don't know. We don't know how long. Now, I think this one is actually technically classified alone, but some of the other ones that we don't know about, whether they're, uh, or I'm sorry, that we do know are not loans, but deals. Uh, again, if, if they don't come back, then that's, you know, that's what, just what happened because of what happened in this country. So, um, I also don't necessarily think this is a bad thing because, mm-hmm. one, I think American players going over to Europe and finding big success will kind of tamp down that idea that somehow people think the European leagues are better than the NWSL, which I think is completely ridiculous. Um, and I also think it gives other players here an opportunity. I did not find the Challenge Cup any less enjoyable. Uh, with the fact that, you know, half of the national team players weren't there. And in fact, in some ways, it might have even been more enjoyable because we got to see some players that maybe we wouldn't have gotten a chance to see. So I, like I said, I have no problem with this whatsoever. And yes, there may be some long-term consequences, uh, but I don't even necessarily think that those will be bad. And I, I have two things, one on on the players getting training and the other on, you know, what you're saying about what will this mean for the league. First, you mentioned Pew earlier and, you know, her playing in this fall series, knowing she needs to get those minutes. If you remember, she was part of the the U.S. Women's National Team games in March because she's, she put herself in that position. You know, she wasn't called in, but she said it, about the prospect of being included on the Olympic roster, she wants to be training. And she got herself into training that way. I think she's well aware that she needs to, um, you know, continue to have these minutes. And, and like you said, this is about – figuring out ways for these players in a way that they're comfortable health-wise um, to, to play and to get these minutes. I don't think it's at all a one-way street and that, you know, the upper echelon of teams are in Europe. 
for the women's game. That's I, I think that you will see players return as we have before. But the other thing um, to point out is by the time we get to a point where we're seeing these international and national team talents going over to England and Europe and other places, we have to remember NWSL is not going to look the same when they get back. There are expansion teams coming in. There are different um, things and work that are coming into this league and changing um, that won't look the same. You know, LA is a huge game changer, and I know that's not next year, but that will be a game changer. So not only do we not know what this means for national team players, the, for them coming back, the league, I think, is is just going to be different. And, you know, we see I want specifically the Rose Lavelle trade, you know, her rights going to reign are are also thinking about the business side of the expansion draft and 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 different and the trade for Mallory Pugh at the beginning of the year was expansion draft for Louisville. So I think there's a lot going on within the NWSL as well that there's plenty of other talent to look at. And it's not, oh, my gosh, there's this exodus. It, it, it's it's about players playing. And you mentioned where this country is. It, it's about them getting back on the field in a way that they feel safe. Let me sort of piggyback off that, Emily, but change gears a little bit. Um, the Lavelle trade and then and the Pew trade earlier in 2020, do you think there is additional respect for Richie Burke within the Spirit organization, the players mostly, that he does not feel like he needs to cater to the national team players and the big names, that he can say, look, it's not in our best interest to keep Mal Pugh if she can't stay on the field. I know part of that was expansion draft related, but, you know, we're not just going to sit here and wait on Rose Lavelle. We, they made a really good deal, I think, considering that she's going to be gone now for a while. Mm -hmm. Do you think that adds to his kind of Q rating in that organization that he wants to build things his own way? And it's not just like, let's force feed Pugh and Lavelle. And even though they're always injured and, and work around that. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you say that because at least public facing, Richie Burke is a guy that will tell you every one of his players is the best player yes, yes, ever. No. But he will also be critical. He's Paul you know? Riley Light. <laughs> and he, you know, Liverpool fans, they, they're, 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 exactly. they've got a lot in common going on. Um, but the, the other thing is, you know, he'll, he'll say that right after he criticizes them pretty fairly. I, um, you know, he, the Mallory Pugh, uh, trade right after that happened I was in uh in a public space with other people in January I, that feels so foreign um and he said you know that was the toughest trade that he'd ever done and he went to Mal and and had to tell her her rights were being traded and um with Rose Lavelle his quote was he'd never felt so low with the trade of Rose Lavelle's rights than he did when his father passed a couple of years ago I mean this is someone who I think does value and shows that value to the other players on the team for these national team players, but at the same time turns around and um, you mentioned the system of playing out of the back and how the style they play and the attacking style. That is a system he he's confident in and knows it works. And I think it didn't work against sky blue, but he does like what you're saying know how to communicate to these younger players of this is a system. This isn't a road. And he said it publicly as well. This isn't, we're built around one player, Rose Lavelle. He, that's what he, you know, says to his team as well. He's not going to ask Bailey, uh, Feist to come in and be Rose Lavelle, but he is going to ask her to play in that role. 
Um, and so, yeah, I think he has a good balance of <laughs> uh, being able to hype up the, the right players, um, but also kind of preach this system, you know, and, and you mentioned Paul Riley Light. I think that's, you know, it's perfect. It's a perfect example of, of how he's he's running this team so far. We've got one more uh, from Twitter from Godwin O'Coley. A little bit of a thought-provoking one here. How many international roster slots do you think every NWSL team should have? Do European teams have an advantage with roster building with an EU player pool? Um, Emily, you can take the uh, roster slot question and then the European one. I'm not really qualified myself to answer the European one, so uh, you can take it if you want, but what about the roster slots? <laughs> I, I, I'm going to leave the European one alone as well. I know when, I know what I don't know. Um, I think the international roster spot, um, I, I, that one I don't know as well. I, I'm actually curious about your guys' thoughts about this. You know, uh, Dan, can I actually ask you a question just as somebody who's familiar with the of history of, of everything? Why do we, why is it limited? I mean, I, I know that in Major League Soccer, there was some, fear that you know international players would come in and just take up all the roster spots and that goes all the way back i think to the nasl where you had to have a certain number mm-hmm. of americans on your team but right and on the what, field even right in the right, NASL, right, I think. right right i think you had to play two americans but what tell me what is the the rationale behind even doing it this way it just seems like you should let these teams do what they want to do you know i think in the beginning it was just that you know they were starting from scratch and they weren't necessarily soccer people running the league. And they just, you know, that's how major league soccer had done it. And there were limits in some other places around the world. So they just decided to do it. I think officially, you know, it has to do with player development because you do want to have the league for Americans. And maybe there's also something to be said that if you, if it were unlimited, maybe the thorns would just run roughshod and bring in all these, you know, foreign players I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a valid question, um, but I, I mean, I don't think it would get that out of hand, even if you took the handcuffs off entirely. And I think right. you would, st- I think it would still be mostly American players because, on these like, rosters. we always talk about how the U.S. second team is probably the third best team in the world, true. and we saw in the Challenge Cup how incredibly deep the American talent pool is with players that you know some of us had barely ever even heard of or only you know maybe talk to one time at a, at a draft a year or two ago and step in and just play fantastic. So I don't, I, I just can't wrap my head around the rationale for even having that as a rule. And I know that they end up being parts of, of trades and people, you know, I know Chicago traditionally has just traded them for anything they can get because they just had no intention of using them. I just don't yeah. understand why they're even part of the roster rules. Well, That's yeah. A fair question. I, I and you, the trade thing is is interesting to me introducing it into NWSL. So you know traditionally there's about eight international roster spots divvied up evenly. It's 208 for MLS and eight to each of the teams, and then the trades. That's what's interesting about because I don't think that you would see the same pattern you see in MLS in NWSL with these the trades of the international roster spots. I mean some teams would like Chicago, would have very little value in it. And then you you start wondering, okay, what can they get for it? And right. and how valuable would, you know, Thorns say that an international roster spot is versus what they have to give? I mean, I think it, 
it, it's a very big question mark for me. And, and you, you bring up the first and second national team, you know, and the depth that they have. It, it just, maybe it's, it's, it's a huge question mark for me. My belief here, I'm going to sidetrack myself a little bit. I think that the CSA, Canadian Soccer Association, who is still part of this league, they still pay some players to play in the league. I think it would be in the best interest of the league and the CSA if every team got a roster spot for a Canadian player that is not someone that the CSA is allocating like Sinclair and Desiree Scott and players like that. But you could sign one Canadian player, would not count against your other international limits. I think that would make Canada's program better, and I think it would ultimately make the NWSL better. Because I think it's easier to get, you know, like your random Canadian player to come play in the U.S. than it is someone from overseas. Well, and this is, I mean, this is totally hypothetical, but what would that mean for a potential expansion to, like, say, a Toronto or something? Would that, I mean, does that set that up or does that, would that stop it? And again, like I said, that is totally hypothetical situation. Well, I think the rules have to be a little different, right? Because wasn't one of the hangups for Vancouver that Vancouver, the ownership wanted to have like all the Canadian national team players mm-hmm. on that team. I think you, because the rules are different. I mean, you're in, in the MLS. The rules are a little different for the Canadian teams, right? In terms of roster limits and Americans and Canadians mm-hmm. and stuff. Is that right? Correct. Yes. So, you know, I think there would have to be some tweaking of that. And maybe if you put teams in Canada, you wouldn't need that rule. But I think without teams in Canada, especially with the CSA involved, I think it just makes so much sense. And so many of them, I mean, pretty much any decent player from Canada, right, besides Desiree Scott, goes to college in the United States. So they're familiar with the game in the United States. I I don't know. It just makes too much sense to me. Parting shots, anything we're looking forward to seeing for the next six weeks in this fall series? Okay, this is fantastic. <laughs> well, fantastic. look, you know, no, because you know, Emily was saying that like this isn't this isn't the spirit team that you're used to. You're going to see that with every team in the league. It looks like, as we mentioned, you know, North Carolina looking now like they're going to be missing anywhere from four to six or seven of their top players. You know, a, a good portion of Chicago's team has already been loaned overseas, so goodness knows what we're going to see when they when they finally step on the field. It's this is just kind of like glorified preseason. And I'm not saying I'm not going to enjoy it. And I don't want to. I do. I want to watch these. And I like watching players that I don't get normally get to watch. But this is this is just going to be absolute, you know, throw stuff at a wall. I thought the dash were going to be almost whole. And then Rachel Daly went out on loan. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's like kind of a big player, right? Yeah, exactly. And, well, you know, I was good. I was going to say on that, I think that. Look, the wash, the Spirit Sky Blue game was enjoyable. You know, for everything that that Spirit lacked, um, and everything Sky Blue had, I think when you say preseason, you know, Sky Blue's farther along than Spirit are right now. Spirit next season, and that's what they're looking towards, have a lot to figure out. Um, so honestly, I think I'm more excited, and and this is a nerdy marketing thing, but. I, I'm excited to see the numbers from these CBS games, honestly. I, I, I hope that they do well, and I hope that it helps uh, this partnership that they have with the seven games 
on CBS. Um, and so I'll be looking out for that for sure. I hope they do well, but I hope they're not too discouraged if they're down from the Challenge Cup because has, there has never been this much sports on at yeah. the same time ever. And Absolutely. hopefully never will be again. <laughs> John, to your Chicago point, I was joking with someone that if you're female and you own cleats and you're between the ages of like 22 and 35, you've got a chance to play for the Red yep. Stars in this fall I, series. I sent a message to our friends Claire and Sandra and just said, you guys might want to make sure Rory has your phone number. That would make for a great podcast if we could get right. Claire and Sandra out on the field for a every, every team gets one media member. That's good. I mean, we saw how he treated the Challenge Cup. Like, yeah. It almost seemed like he was, you know, like, oh, my gosh, we're still here for the final. <laughs> so, all right. I think that's enough for uh, this episode. Hope everybody enjoys their holiday weekend. We Don't forget, we've got six more weekends of NWSL fall series on CBS, CBS All Access, or a couple of games are exclusive to Twitch. So uh, make sure you check your schedule to see where you can find those games. Uh, last question, actually, and this one's specifically for Emily. Better debut this weekend, Mallory Pugh for Sky Blue or Emily Olsen for Equalizer? Oh, come on. It, I'm a competitor. It was obviously Emily Olsen for Equalizer. <laughs> <laughs> she assisted the game-winning goal, but... I think I had the equivalent of scoring a game-winning goal, being able to contribute to Equalizer. All right, fair enough. I like the confidence. All right, hopefully we'll get you back on again. Thanks, Emily and John. My name is Dan Valletta. Thanks for listening to the Equalizer podcast. When you rely on the Internet for everything... You need speed that can handle anything. And now, Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on Internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X5 gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. 